Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. This is the final episode for our Azure Security Month in May 2022. And as a grand finisher, we wanted to cover Azure Security Fundamentals Level 200. A couple of weeks ago, we had Andrew Brown who spoke about Level 100. We spoke about certifications, some of the basic foundational pieces for getting into the Azure space. And today we had Tani Jenka from WeHack Purple talking about how do you level that up? How do you start setting up the abstraction layers of subscriptions, tenants? How do you scale that up? What are some of the security services in Azure that you should be aware of? What are some of the things that are paid and not paid and included in the service? We also spoke about good resources that you can use to start learning about Azure security. I hope you find this helpful. And if you know anyone else who's trying to learn about Azure security and maybe wants to get into the security space of Azure, this is a great episode. So please feel free to share this free episode with them. And while you're there, please feel free to drop us a review or a rating on iTunes and Spotify. It really means a lot and it really helps us find more people that I can help out. And thank you for everyone who has left us a review or a rating last week. I hope you have a great weekend ahead and I will talk to you on our next month's episode, which is not going to be a lot of live stream, but it is going to be around the RSA topics because it is RSA month and it is also B-side San Francisco month in June. So we would be there in person. And if you are someone who is a resident of San Francisco or are you coming down to San Francisco to attend B-side San Francisco or attend RSA, please do say hello. Shilpi and I would be there to represent Cloud Security Podcast and would love to take pictures with you folks. So see you at RSA and B-side. Otherwise, we'll see you online. See ya. As companies expand to the cloud, asset visibility worsens. The Jupyter One Cyber Asset Management Platform helps you get it back. Jupyter One provides context, understanding, and visibility into your entire cyber asset attack surface with over 150 integrations, including AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, and more. Jupyter One helps you answer complex security and infrastructure questions, understand the contextual relationships between assets, and build the foundation for your security program. Try it for yourself. Get started with your free Jupyter One account today. I doubt people would not know you, but for the people listening to this live stream right now who do not know who Tanya is, if you could tell us a bit about yourself and your professional background. Awesome. So I'm Tanya Jenka. I'm also known as She Hacks Purple. And I am a person obsessed with the security of software. And I realize this is the cloud security podcast, but guess what is hosted a lot in the cloud? Tons and tons and millions, if not hundreds of millions of pieces of software. And so the security of the software is very important to me. I wrote a book about it, Alice and Bob Learn, Application Security. I speak at conferences, I teach courses, and I am the founder of We Hack Purple, which is a community and academy all about AppSec, secure coding, etc. And we were just bought by Bright Security last month. And so as so big thank you to Bright because now all the courses in the We Hack Purple Academy are free. So if you go to the community, basically you join and we have put all the courses in there now and they're free. So they used to cost a lot of money in the academy, but now you can get them for free. And guess what we have one on. And so, so when Ashish was like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? I was you had me at hello. I did not even think of Azure security courses in a thought of Tanya. Did not think of that as well. So for people who maybe, I guess, now since people have been introduced to Tani as well, and now they know about the awesome courses that we Hack Purple is doing, what are some of the, maybe a good place to start? Because when we were talking about the security fundamentals last time, we touched on a few of the important components, but I guess we didn't really go into the high level of, we spoke about tenants, we spoke about subscriptions, mm -hmm. we didn't go into the scaling part, we spoke about certification and everything else. So in this episode, I'm hoping we can talk more about, say, the, the next level up from what are some yeah. of the common Azure security services that people should be aware of? Okay. So one of the things that, so I used to work at Microsoft and I worked on Azure security stuff with the developer advocates. And one of the things that was really exciting for me joining Microsoft is that there are people there who are just as obsessed about security as I was. And so they're literally trying to make one of every type of security tool, not what they're saying, but what I am seeing. So first of all, there's security center. And I know that we're going to talk about security center a lot in a bit, but do you want me to kind of describe it now? Or do you want yeah, that suspense? Let's, or, okay. let's set the stage for it, I guess. Yes, that way we can. Okay, so Security Center 
is kind of an overview of a dashboard of all your security in your entire Azure subscription. And so you could have it be a top level subscription with everything down to show you everything. And what by that is it'll show you, for instance, it gives you a grade. So there's a score that you get, but basically it tries to show you at a glance how you're doing. And then you can drill down into different parts and it actually makes you a to-do list. So they call it recommendations. And basically they put all their super smart people together and we're like, okay, what could go wrong? What should, what are best practices? Let's make a list. And everywhere where it's not applying, we'll just put it on their to-do list. So number one is always turn on multi-factor authentication for all your owner accounts. If the account can buy stuff, I'm sorry, a password's not enough. And so basically that's always the, and I saw everyone using MFA. And so that's what Security Center does. It's a beautiful dashboard that shows you all the things. And so then the next thing that people talk about a lot is Azure Defender. And so when I worked at Microsoft, Azure Defender and Microsoft Security Center were one thing, then Defender got yanked out, then it got put back together and the whole thing was called Defender, then it got separated and now there's Security Center and Defender. And basically Def Azure Defender is the paid part of Security oh. Center. So Security Center is free with your subscription by free as part of the cost that you're paying. And then Defender is on top of that, you pay more for even more stuff. And so I'm gonna go on a limb here and say, so it's a it's a CSPM, a cloud security posture management tool. And so mm -hmm. it looks across all your stuff and says, listen, if VA scans on this, we checked your firewall stats. We checked all these things. Here's a picture and here's what's wrong. Yeah. And I think it was the first one because I was trying to describe to people what it was. I mean, it's magical. It gives you this whole view of everything yeah. and it tells you how to fix stuff. It's not cheap, costs a lot, but it's a thing that didn't exist. And so then slowly um, other products are getting rolled out and they call it CSPM which means cloud security posture management. And so the posture, the idea is, is it's an overall arcing view of everything in your cloud system and stuff yep. that you need to fix it. And so what Defender is, is it has just extra cool features. So there's PIM, so, or just a second, let me just go through them one by time. So there's just in time access. So closing yep. all your ports when you're not using them. There is application control tooling, which is a, used to be called application waitlisting, but that's not super politically correct. So they changed yeah, okay. it. And then, but a lot of people are, oh, you mean waitlisting. And I'm like, that's what it used to be called. But what we're really doing is making an approved list and then file integrity monitoring. So that's FIM yeah. integrity monitoring. And there's just threat protection specifically for databases or threat protection specifically for, I think they have not infrastructure as a service, IOT. And so the idea is, is basically you can buy extra security services and that is Azure Defender. You get it as one big package with Azure Defender. Interesting. Wow. So there's a lot more stuff in Defender than what it used to be. And I can understand why I'm making it paid as well. And maybe actually. Now that I think about it, I just had a question from Mukhtar here, and I feel it's probably okay. good to just level the playing field because there might be people still be, hey, great, but what's the Azure security thing? Is Sentinel part of SCPM? Okay, so... What is SCPM? Exactly. That's <laughs> what I was thinking. CSPM, uh, Cloud Security Posture Management. So Sentinel is a separate product and it's a SIM. So S-I-E-M, Security Information and Event Management System. So it's, I'm probably not supposed to say this, but it's exactly like Splunk except for it's just made for Azure. And unlike Splunk, it's part of it, if that makes sense. It's, oh, how do I word this? So Sentinel's already built into Azure because it's made by Microsoft. So you just pay and turn it on. Well, with Splunk, because it's a third party, you have to roll it out and set it up. But yep. Splunk works on any network and Sentinel, as far as I know, only works in Azure. And so basically what a SIM does is it tells you what's going on in your network. It's like, hey, this happened and we think that's weird. You should probably take a look. This is happening and we are pretty certain it's this type of attack and you definitely need to do stuff. And the basically a lot of large organizations have something called a SOC, a security operations center. And it's a whole bunch of people who are really good at network security. Uh, and they sit there and they watch the SIM and as various alerts come up, they go and they track them down and see if it's something real or not. And depending upon how big your organization is, you may or may not have that situation. A lot of places don't have a SIM and that is okay. But for instance, when I worked in the Canadian government, they had a gigantic SOC. 50 experts in this giant room and they all got a million monitors. Why do you get six monitors and I only get one? Because like, you're just a little pen tester, go away. That was my friend, not the boss. But so Akhtar, hopefully that answers your question, but basically Sentinel is a separate product and it is outside. It does not come with 
the Azure Defender bundle, as far as I know. And yep. from what I'm told, it costs approximately the same as. So, so there was another question, right? So, and this is basically leveling up the playing field for anyone else who's listening in as well, from, maybe more from a career perspective as well. I think that's kind of where it's coming from, from an Azure security perspective. That's one of the common questions being asked by a lot of folks for how do I get into the Azure security space? And I was, I was kind of wait for the tour towards the end, but maybe while we're on the topic anyways, might as well just touch that as well. What's your recommendation usually for folks who want to get into the Azure security space as a profession? So Microsoft, when I was working there, created Microsoft Learn and Microsoft Learn is free and it's a whole bunch of, so the developer advocate team made a lot of modules in there. And then they have all these amazing technical writers and a huge technical writing staff that made many of the modules. And then some of the engineers that build the security contributed and added to the modules. And basically, so each Azure Learn kind of program or, or course or whatever. It's kind of a tutorial where they walk you through things. Some of them have a sandbox where you can actually go and do stuff. And some of them you go through and you read and you watch videos and then you answer some little quizzes. It depends on the one. So it's not a thorough in-depth really, really long thing. It's a lot of shorter course. None of them are 20 hours or something like that, which is good though, because then you can kind of take bite-sized learning that makes sense. Yeah. So you could yeah. do one, maybe one Microsoft Learn program per week or something and not chew up too much of your personal time. And then they also have some, which I believe you can take. It's if you cover all of these things, then you can go for a certain certification. The Microsoft certifications, basically you have to know the stuff or you won't pass, which is ideal with a certification. But from what I understand, some organizations will ask for them and some of them don't. It kind of depends on where you work and how they decide to test you. So if you have no job experience, having certification can show I'm very serious about learning this, but I got asked this this morning and I don't have any certifications at all. Learning at Microsoft Learn for free is super smart. Learn for free. And then also we have purple courses are free as well. And we have one about basically, so we have one and it's free, but you need an Azure trial, which is also free if you haven't already used your trial. I had a lot of people sign up and they're, well, it said I already used my trial. And I'm I don't work for Microsoft anymore. I can't give you free Azure. I could give you free. I don't mean to sound a jerk, but I would keep the Azure. It would be but so if you haven't already used your trial, basically we load a whole bunch of intentionally vulnerable stuff into your trial and then we secure it. So we go through it and we do a VA and we look at the right stuff. And we're, let's turn on HTTPS. Let's force that. Let's do this. Let's do that. And you just slowly lock down all of the stuff. And we talk about how to turn on different features and when you might want them. And I don't say exact prices because I know those things will change, but I try yeah. to give you kind of estimates as to cost. And so it's okay. a less biased view, I hope, because I don't work for Microsoft anymore, meaning I could say whatever I want, as long as I'm not breaking a non-disclosure agreement. And since I haven't worked there in years, I don't actually know anything good. Well, you still know a lot as well, Sadani. That's really helpful. <laughs> and I hope that answers your question as well, Mukhtar. I think it's great advice on start learning free material, get into Azure trial and see, try and secure an application in there. But hopefully that answers your question about feel free to follow up. And I think I've got a few more people who probably have been in the Azure space for a while. And from what you mentioned as well, when you kind of start a trial and put something wonderful, turn on different things, that was going to be my next question as well as to for people who are listening in and going, all right, I've heard Tanya, I'm going to switch, start, turn on for a trial now. I've turned on my Azure trial for the first time, not because I've used it before. What are some of the basics, I guess, cybersecurity hygiene thing that we should be doing as part of building that up? Because, and should I start yeah. the tenant subscription? Where am I going over here? Well, okay. So let's say you're a person learning on your own. If you don't have anything inside your subscription, the only thing you can really do is turn on multi-factor authentication for your account. So that's the main thing. So you, you make a strong password and it's unique for this account. You don't have it in 25 other accounts, the same password. And then you turn on multi-factor authentication because you are the owner account. And then, and if I were you, I would add your phone number so that Azure can call you if it thinks there's an emergency and it sounds weird. But when I used to work at Microsoft, Azure called my boss to tell on me. I was making an intentionally vulnerable demo because that would part of my job. And then it said, you've checked a secret into your code and I said, I know, shut up. Uh -huh. It's not real. It's not real secret. Like, how can it tell? Right. And it's, we don't that don't do that. And I said, just, just do it. Okay. Azure. And so then it phoned my and said, there's a security incident with one of your employees. A secret has been put in. And so I get this phone call. Oh my gosh, Tanya, Azure called me. So first of all, that's weird to have a robot call you. Second of all, Apparently you put secrets in the code and then put it in production. What are you doing? And I'm making that vulnerable demo we talked about. And he's, oh, so 
Asher's pretty ticked off at you, Missy. And then we laughed about it. And then the real instant response team called and I was in doo-doo. Oh, for sure. What, what yeah, about- so, so put your phone number in, your contact information in. So then after that, you would want to load stuff in there. And by that infrastructure or applications or services. So if you don't have anything in there, then there's nothing to secure besides your account. So let's say you put, let's say you're going to do a platform as a service and then you want to put a web app. So you would deploy a platform as a service, which is literally a couple clicks and a credit card swipe. And then within maybe five, 10 minutes, they've built it for you, which to be quite clear is super exciting. And then deploying your app. If you have a Docker container, you can literally just be like, this is my Docker container. Please make this a reality for me. And it just loads up your app. Or you can say, actually, I've got some code I want to show you whatever the thing is. And so then if you have an app on there and you have a platform as a service, you can start to secure those things. So you could look, so what I have to do is immediately open whatever the service is. So in this case, the platform as a service or PaaS. So they call it an app service. So just, so you go to your app service and you look at it and as look at the configuration settings in the security area. So on the left, so when you're in your app service, on the left, there's just this ton of menu things go to the one that says security and check out the things there. And so I personally believe that on the internet, things have changed for years. And I think we should only have HTTPS everywhere. I'm biased because I'm obsessed with security, but I don't think HTTP is the way anymore. Encryption is cheap and or free now, thanks to Let's Encrypt. And so one of the first things I do is I force HTTPS. There will be no HTTP connections to this, only HTTPS. And then it'll say, what version of TLS do you want? I'm obviously the super new one, but it'll give you some suggestions of things to do. And so go through the settings and see what you want. So you might want to put this app service behind a firewall. If you just have one app service, don't feel you need that. But generally people put firewalls around things. So then you could go and make an Azure firewall and then make a network security group and be like, okay. So my app service goes in my network security group and the firewall goes around the network security group. Life is pretty sweet now. People are not attacking my stuff. And then I would go look in security center and see if it has recommendations for me because it might say, oh, you have a network security group, but I saw this when I first started at Microsoft, one of our advocates had a test box and it was like, it's outside of the firewall and all the groups. And that guy's just on his lonesome. And also it keeps getting attacked every day. It was one of my greatest joys when I started at Microsoft was this one box that we found. And I immediately alerted the owner and he's always just a dev box from a zillion years ago with old demos on it. It's garbage, Sonia. I'll just delete it. I was like, no, don't. There's someone who's manually trying to hack it every day and failing and it's awesome. And so I started using it in my demos. I'm like, he's back. Our attacker, him or her is back to do a bad job again of hacking. And it's to have this person's IP address. They're really bad at it. It was so fun to see them just fail over and over. When I guess it, I, I'm coming from a AWS background, it's always fascinating for me as well. So it would t- show you in real time, as in, this is not Sentinel, this is Security Center. A security Center would say, basically, someone has tried to log in to your box 10 times and failed, so they're locked out again. And then what IP address? And it's this IP address. I'm like, oh, it's our oh. friend. Our friend is back and was manually trying to brute force this box with nothing of value on it whatsoever. And so it took months and months for the person to finally give up. I was our friend is gone. And it's great demos. He's just such a failure at hacking. Oh my God. All the YouTube script kiddies are going to be laughing at the poor thing. So I imagine you could have at least tried some kind of a script and all this while you were there. But kudos for points for trying at least logging as well. Because I had a couple of questions come in and the whole concept of our people who come from a Windows background who have had Windows environment for a long time, there is this, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you need okay. Active Directory or Azure Active Directory set up to be able to use Azure. Is that right? Uh, sort of. So if basically if you, you need to have an identity server, right. you have to have one. And theoretically you could buy Okta and then install mm-hmm. it into Azure if that was a thing you really wanted. But basically if you, if you have users on a network, the network needs to figure out who you are. And that's just, how do I word this? So in the olden days, we used, we just used firewalls to protect the network. But now I've heard people say the perimeter is dead and I don't want to make extreme statements that, but basically once you're inside the perimeter, I don't think we should stop using firewalls. 
unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think that's so with firewalls, but they call it something else now. But sure, if you don't want to call it firewalls, but so to your point, then would I require that for the trial though? Or is that only when I'm oh. trying to make it into an enterprise mm -hmm. in the identity beyond starting or, or the Azure AD? So I think it kind of gets installed by default. I, oh. I think that it's just there by default, whether you want it or not. I remember though, once I wanted to make my own instance of Azure Active Directory. So my original trials, when I was at Microsoft, they didn't have a trial at a real account. And then I was inside right. their AD. Right. And then I wanted to make my own Azure Active Directory so that obviously I could make crappy demos of me smashing things because that is my good time. But I, yeah, I'm not sure actually. That's an interesting question because I haven't, when I teach the class, I don't really go into identity. I uh, go yeah, specifically about, into the- I guess where I'm coming from is the fact that um, for, for people may get, find it confusing as well. And so when I'm signing for an Azure, I just need a username, password, and that's about it. So username, password, and credit card, mobile number. Don't have to think about Azure AD. It happens in the background possibly, and you get yeah. that later on. It okay. does because, so basically, so when we think of identity and access management or IAM, basically it thinks that, or the way that it works is you can go and get permission or not get permission to everything in your trial. But unless you're letting anyone else in there, yeah. you don't usually think of it. So let's say, for example, let's say I wanted to build a trial and I wanted you to come and teach with me. So I would make you a user in there. I would have to get either put you in a group. If we're just two teachers, we'd probably make each other super admins. Yeah. But if we're actually trying to do a good realistic job and not do a I am root or I am God example. Yeah. Cause I find when you do a lab, you're like, okay, everyone log in as root. PS never do this. Right. And so ideally yeah. if you are going to teach, you teach the way you should do it. But let's say I give you the software developer role or the database administrator role or the network administrator role, but you can also just create your own role. So I could be a super cool teacher dude role and I, I could name it that. And then I could just give you God-esque privileges within our environment because we're teaching a course together. But then we could yep. give students only the ability, let's say, to, let's say uh, we're going to teach them some DevOps and some DevSecOps. So it's okay. So you guys can each make your own CI CD pipelines and Azure DevOps, and you're allowed to make platforms as a service and you're allowed to roll out infrastructure as code and infrastructure as a service, but that's it. I don't really trust you to do more stuff. That's all you're allowed. Uh, and so then you make a role that's a DevOps student role and you just yeah. give them that. And then that's all they can do. Someone was asking me the other day, I was teaching a course and they're like, I'm really concerned about the software developers disabling all my security tests and the CICD. How can I stop them from doing that? And I was talk to them, show them the value. No, but how can I force them to not do that and take away their ability to edit the pipelines. To be clear, that's a big middle finger you're giving all the DevOps teams. I don't know if I was on a DevOps team and I didn't have control over my own pipeline, I'd be pretty Giving them a heads up and getting the agreements, I guess, yeah, that definitely is based. Well, I don't know, I don't want to call it quote Trump, but it sounds like Trump way of doing it. Yeah, but it, but it's, no, but if you're on the DevOps team, you should, you're the one that makes the pipeline. The pipeline's yours. And have yeah. the security team take your own access away to your own thing. It's, well, if I want to write a new secure test of any kind against my own app, well, I have to ask permission to the security team. This is the test environment. This is my play area. Go away. <laughs> and so I yeah. kept trying to give other answers that were where the DevOps team will well, hopefully like, that's a good segue into the next thing as well because I, I think we have, we have I love where we're going as well we started off with setting it up as a trial and building that up with MFA mobile number credit card and everything now you've mentioned the DevOps side as well Azure has its own Azure DevOps so let's talk about the level 200 as well if mm -hmm. the person listening to this is a Azure DevOps person and they want to secure the CI/CD pipeline have automation mm -hmm. and as they kind of go through this what are some of the I guess basic security principle that you would recommend him or her to have as they're building the CI CD pipeline for deploying application. Let's start with what are some of the foundational security things you would do then? Because we spoke about Sentinel already. We spoke about Azure Defender already, Azure Security, but I'm sure we have Azure Policy somewhere in there as well. But let's start with what, where do I start with building application? Okay. okay. So a thing that I start off every consulting call with uh, is that Azure DevOps is being sunset in the next few years because availability is the most important thing for most security folks. And I put it on Twitter and a zillion Microsoft people came out and told me to shut my damn mouth very politely, but it was very, and they all denied it. And then I had one of my clients confirm with their 
person the next day and they're like, oh, definitely being sensitive. So people are going to get pissy with me. But anyway, no, but it's true. Availability is really important. And also I just make clear, I think that's the dumbest business decision ever because Azure DevOps is beautiful. It's so much. And I know that everyone wants everyone to move to GitHub Actions and GitHub Actions is super duper fun. But Azure DevOps works perfectly and it's so mature and it's good and I really get it and I don't want it to go away. <laughs> okay. So now that I've got that off my chest. So I think Azure DevOps is awesome. And basically with a few clicks, you can actually lay out a simple pipeline. And so what, so if you're a big organization, I would suggest making a template of a pipeline and making every single new pipeline have that template. So for instance, I want to have at least one dev box. I want to have at least one QA box, one UAT box, and then onto prod. Okay, so let's say you always want to have those three levels because let's say you have a user acceptance team, you have a QA team, obviously you have a dev team or I don't know why you're doing DevOps. And so then let's say, so things that I to check are I want to run a dynamic scan, which is called dynamic application security testing. I want to run unit tests. So usually devs, they code, they code, they code. They run their little unit tests sometimes themselves from within the IDE. Sometimes they do with a terminal or a command prompt or whatever you want to call it. And sometimes they do it in the CI CD, but basically unit tests are a little tiny regression testing. And I believe that we should have security unit tests, but that is one of my, cause that's really, really far left for security. Do like the first possible security test you could do, but I digress. Okay. So then I want to do software composition analysis. So check all of my third party dependencies. So a NuGet package, a Ruby gem, a really cool library that does blah. I want to make sure all those are not scary. Then I have yep. static application security testing. So just look at the code my team wrote. Tell me if there's something obviously garbagey in there and dynamic application security testing. So punch my app in the face a bit. So to do the DAS, the dynamic testing, you have to put it onto the dev server. However, for the other two, you don't even have to put it, you don't even have to have a server or anything. You can just run it directly on the code. And Azure DevOps has a bunch of really super beautiful plugins. So for instance, if you are doing an open source project and you're only going to run it five times a day or less, you can use Waste Source. It's called Waste Source Bolt and it's free to run up to five times. So let's say, I don't know, you happen to have your own open source project, which I used to have. I, I would run it and it would tell me this library you're using. We're a little concerned. And also, are you sure you're not violating this license? And I'm like, yikes. And then I would run dynamic scan and it would tell me like, hey, it looks maybe this, your input validation isn't so good here because we were able to do this bad thing to your app and it went along with our plan. So you should make it not do that anymore. And then I also check for secrets in the code we said before where I got busted doing that at Microsoft. But I was doing it on purpose, just to be clear. I did not actually check a real Microsoft secret in, but I still look dumb. But so I guess I try to kind of check those three, I call it the three pillars. There we go. So how my app is running and how it acts. So dynamic testing, the code I wrote, so that's fast. Mm -hmm. And yep. then SCA, the code I did not write, but I'm accepting the risk because I put it inside my app. And so I feel like if you check those things, you're pretty good. If, if you wanted to be more advanced, you could do more stuff. So you could do serious attack simulation sorts of things, or you could do performance testing, stress testing. You could have a penetration tester come in or run a red team exercise. So you can really, really stress your systems and see how yeah. far they can go. But if you could just test the three pillars, then you're going to have a pretty decent test them and then fix the things you find. Just to be clear, I don't mean just run tests. And I say that because I seriously, when I was a pen tester, you give the report and you're so you're going to fix it now though. Like, no, we're not. We had to change <laughs> this box and I'm like, my job's hopeless. I like to upset. I switched out of pen testing really fast because there's not so enough social time and I've just got lonely. Oh. I just, anyway, AppSec is where you spend time and you help them fix the thing. And I just leave the pen to consulting contracts and feel my work's not done. It really <laughs> irritated me. But anyway, I digress. Fair enough. So, so to your point then, we have what the basic hygiene cover for all the automation pieces. What about the virtual machines that would be built as part of say CICD pipeline, it's built a infrastructure virtual machine. And at that level, what are some of the basic hygiene at that level? from a virtual machine perspective that is running the application. Okay. So if you're hosting your app on a virtual machine, there's way more to do 
than if it's a platform as a service or a container. And the reason for this is the shared responsibility model. So if you do mm -hmm. infrastructure as a service, so that means you're like, hey, Microsoft, I'd to have, I don't know, a machine running Windows with this many cores, et cetera. And they're like, here you go. You have to patch it from then on. So you need yeah. to participate in Patch Tuesday. And it, you can call it Patch Wednesday or Patch Thursday if that's when you actually apply your patches, but you need to patch regularly. You also need to, in my opinion, run a VA scan regularly. And so Microsoft has their own VA scanner, but there's a zillion out there that are quite good that you could use. I used to use Nessus a lot when I was a pen tester because it's just so easy. It's just so easy. You press, you're like, what do you want me to scan? I'm like, this range. And they're like, want me to do a big scan? I'm like, scan everything, Nessus. Just tell me what's wrong. I'll fix it. But not use the one from Microsoft yeah. or is that because it doesn't have enough capability or? Oh, that was because it was before I worked at Microsoft. Right. And because yeah. I was going from data center to data center to data center. And I, it right. wasn't cloud. It was little data centers. So I wore a hat and mitts and a coat. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> Wearing a hat as well. So does it have a VA? So no. part of Azure Defender is it does VA for you. So it will basically every 20 for hours, Azure Defender will VA every single thing in your subscription. It can take, right. and if you update something, it'll go and VA it usually within an hour, but it'll tell you this will refresh. So when you go and fix something, so let's say Security Center says, hey, I have a recommendation that you go and do X. So you go and do X. And what used to happen is then it would not show that it was remediated. And I'd be giving demos and I'm like, is this thing on? But it turns out what it was waiting for was for the VA scanner to come back and check that it actually happened. Because sometimes you send the, it doesn't actually, and this is why when I was a pen tester and I would use Nessus all the time, I would make so much money because, and I don't mean Nessus specifically, any VA scanner that is good. There are a whole yeah. bunch that are good, but that is the brand that that company used. And so I would basically run the scan and just see patches that just didn't take for whatever reason, or maybe someone was running around doing the hardening guide on all the machines and then they missed one. And that might sound odd, but it happens and the patch just doesn't take, or they send out the range and this machine was disconnected, or they got the range wrong, et cetera, et cetera. And so they, with SCCM system center from Microsoft, they send out all these patches and then it just doesn't hit everywhere. And also sometimes weird things happen. Yeah. I was working somewhere and I was like, you have Microsoft Office 2003, on your load balancer and they're like, oh should we upgrade that and like, do you write short stories on your load balancer i feel maybe you could just take it off why mm -hmm. do you have anything other than load balancer stuff mm -hmm. on your load balancer the only other thing i might find there usually would be a laugh a web yeah. app firewall right so I'm, then i would see that I'd be like, okay that makes sense but i'm microsoft office no don't get me wrong i office i'm not trying to say i don't but it just doesn't yeah. fall on your load balancer i'm just like oh, what's going on here guys so it helps you spot weirdo things, things that don't, these things are not the other. Yeah, fair enough. So then when, so when you're thinking yeah. about securing a VM, then, yes. so this almost, what about access to the VM itself? Because there is that conversation as well. Is there a bastion? Is, is that a, the concept exists? So there's two ways that you can do that in Azure. So one, you can use a bastion host, or I, I used to call it a jump box. So basically yep. you remote desktop into a specific box, and then you open up a remote desktop from that box to the VM that you actually want to work on. You could also use SSH keys oh, to yeah. connect directly. Sometimes it depends on what you want to do. But what I used to do the most often was I would use just-in-time access control. So it closed all of the ports. So this okay. is part of Azure Defender. So it closed all of the ports on the whole thing. And then I would log into the portal of Azure and then I'd flick open, let's say I want to RDP in. So I flick open the RDP port, I think it's 25 or 27 or whatever. But anyway, it just says RDP and I'm like, yes, please. So it would open it and it'd be like, how long do you want it open for? And you could choose one hour, three hours, eight hours. But after eight hours, so no, you have to tell us again. We don't think you're doing this for more than eight hours. Like, we're going to close it on you. And oh. so then I flip it open. Then I am able to RDP to it. And then I have to do username, password, and then MFA. And then I'm on there. And then after a certain amount of time, so I remember I'd be like, oh, one hour, I'm so fast. And then it would kick me out. I'm like, what happened? Oh, it's been an hour. So I learned that I needed to click the three hour one. I also was like, I don't need this. This is fine. I'm not going to forget to take away people's access. And then my friend Abel and I were working together and I'd given him access. And then two weeks later, we're going to go work again. He's like, oh, do you have to turn my access on? I'm like, no, I totally forgot to take it away. And so, <laughs> so I was having it automatically close things for me is actually really helpful because it turns out I forgot. They're using Qualys for VA now. So I, I well, I honestly, I, I haven't really seen any VA software that I thought sucked. 
I used an open source one and I found it really clunky to get it going. I didn't yeah. that one, but of all the paid ones, I haven't seen one where I'm like, this is garbage. They all just look at the patches and this one's missing or, oh, here's your settings. That's disconcerting. But with a VA, there, there's way more that you can do to secure it. So definitely patching, but follow the hardening guide, right? There's another thing you can do is that when you're going to do the infrastructure as a service, you can go. So I don't know if you've heard of the CIS benchmarks. So the center for is it information security. Secu Internet security. So basically this big group of really smart, awesome humans got together and came up with what they feel are acceptable settings and hardening yep. settings for everything. And so Microsoft partnered with them and made infrastructure as a service where you can say, just give me this one that's already got all the Azure, all of the Sys benchmark settings set up. And so that's a huge win. But don't give me the default one. Give me that. And it, I think it, it costs slightly more, but only because it has more features built into it. So those settings cost more or something. But yeah, I remember yeah. thinking, wait, I can get pre-hardened infrastructures. Yes, please. Yes, please. With that. So yeah. maybe uh, a good way to talk. So a VA for people who may not know, we've been talking about VAs, vulnerability assessment softwares. Let's, uh, cause someone might for some reason think it's virtual assistant, but it's virtual vulnerability assessment in case there is any confusion. So maybe uh, a good segue, and I think there's a question from Mukhtar as well uh, on threat intelligence and threat protection, but uh, I'm assuming that kind of goes into the whole same category, but any thoughts on the whole threat intelligence and threat protection in Azure? Okay. So Microsoft offers an additional service on top of Azure Defender called threat protection. And so you can get it for your databases and for your storage containers, I believe. And basically it's extra monitoring that is specific for that. And I ended up getting it for my databases because even though it's demo data, I don't want anyone breaking it. And also what it would do is so then I would attack my own web apps because I'm a jerk that <laughs> and I'd be giving demos of me trying to smash things. And then the threat protection service would say it would alert me and sometimes it would block it. And so then I could go do an investigation. So Azure Defender at Security Center will tell you if they see an obvious attack. So even if you don't have the threat protection, there's certain ones that are extremely obvious that out of the box, they will just detect for you. So if I am doing an SQL injection attack and it's a really obvious one, or one equals one, which is the most common one, it'll just notice and tell you this app is being attacked and we're concerned and we're pretty sure it's SQL injection and what you need to do to protect against this is this and this and this. And that's just out of the box. You don't need the extra wow. threat protection. So basically threat protection. Oh, you can also add it for your data as well, but it's basically protecting your database essentially, but it's right. an extra cost. And I believe it's $15 per month per server, At not time, per database. Well, as of two months ago, the last time I taught an ad. We kind of have to be yeah. careful with the pricing just because it changes so quickly. And you know, someone watches this and someone tweets you uh, at you and me, and, hey, you guys said $15, look at this now. Well, all right, hopefully that yes. answers your question. But maybe- For threat intelligence, that's a separate topic. And oh, I right, don't yeah. know if Microsoft offers a threat intelligence service. I know they certainly have a lot of threat intelligence because they have entire teams that are looking into that because they have a really, really high risk profile because they're very attractive target being a company that measures their profits in trillions and also being the makers of the world's most used consumer operating system, the second most used cloud. They're a very big, very extremely attractive target. So I know that they do threat intelligence, but I don't know if they sell that as a service. Oh, I, I'm what? unaware of that if they do that, but if they did, it would be so cool. Anyway, if they know the answer, feel free to drop that as well. But thank yes. you for that question. We've kind of spoken about basic foundation security for when we're doing securing VMs, when we're securing uh, tenant subscriptions as well. In terms of scaling, how does this scale in terms of, I, in my mind, I'm going, do I get multiple subscriptions or multiple tenants? What's the recommended way here to kind of scale out? when you're trying to be a global application from anywhere, I guess. Okay. So this is a super hard question because every organization seems to do it differently. When I worked yeah. at Microsoft, our team had, we would call it a parent subscription. And then right. we were the children's subscription underneath because we're supposed to only try to spend $200 worth of Azure per month, but they would right. we work for them. We're making stuff for them. So it's not, like we would personally get a bill, but they're like, could you try to budget for that? Because we don't the advocacy team to spend a zillion Azure dollars per week, which yeah. is very reasonable. Having yeah. budgets important. So then they could monitor. And if one of us was a bit out of hand, then they could be like, Hey, so 
what if you didn't run 10,000 different machine learning models per day? Right. So not in an angry way, but in a, we yep. don't want to blow all the budget way. And so that worked really well for them. But I've also seen it where basically companies do not trust their employees to purchase anything. And and that were, I, I don't know, I've worked at places where would I want the employee to be able to just press a button and be able to buy stuff? Maybe I don't, maybe I'm not that comfortable with it. And we had purpleize the, the maximum we got to was seven people, but I never gave financial signing authority to anyone else. They would send things to me and I'd be like, approved 98% of the time. But sometimes I'm like, no, no, we have 12 cameras. We do not need another camera or whatever the thing was. And so then I was glad that my employees did not have the keys to the kingdom. And so when I worked in IT and the government, I remember I would have to go and ask to have a VM made, but I was a dev and they were ops and there'd have to be this approval process, et cetera. And so then when those groups moved to the cloud, it's like, you're not going to give ownership privileges to every single person. And so right. some organizations, there'll be one parent kind of subscription, or they'll have different departments that have their own subscriptions so they can manage their budget, et cetera. But you have one tenant and there's one papa subscription or parent or grandma subscription. There's yeah. the top of the entire family. And then it would go down. And it really depends how granular you get depending upon the organization. And I don't want to say level of trust of their employees, but maybe level of responsibility they plan on making them have. Right. So subscription allows for such a structure where you can have a what you said, a parent subscription and underneath that we can have one business unit have their own subscription, which could be a dev account and then another subscription, which is a product account. I imagine what would be the boundary that you would set up for hey, this is a business unit. This is their yeah. dev, this is their test, this is their prod kind of thing. How would you set So I feel how you pay. So would I give them yeah. individual subscriptions that a good practice or would I go? Is, it's up to you. Every single company is a snowflake. That is what I have learned. The more companies I talk to about the Azure, the more I'm like, you all do it differently. And so I've decided there isn't a best practice way. There's a what way is best for your org way. And so if you're oh. doing it one way and it's not working, you should try another way, not try that way harder. I see a lot of organizations where they're, well, we've been doing it this for this long and we're really not getting traction. And I'm like, well, don't try to enforce it more because it's already not working. So let's try to walk this back and find a different way that might work better. But for right. dev boxes versus QA boxes versus prod and stuff, I would organize that more from a network level rather right, than a business right. unit level, if that makes sense. Sorry, I guess what I was thinking was more from perspective that what's the boundary for information? I guess we were talking about parameter earlier and the parameters, mm -hmm. I guess, dead, but still exist, I guess, for some extent. So what's the highest level of abstraction one can get between, so would that be, if I have two tenants, so tenant is the highest level of abstraction, as I know, is unless you have a tenant access, you don't have anything. But within the tenant, if I have subscription, the next layer of abstraction, that's subscription. Is that right? As in tenant, and then I can yeah. have multiple subscription. But one subscription cannot talk to the other subscription. It yeah, reports that. Under the same tenant. Under the same tenant. So let's say tenant, and then... Yeah two subscriptions that go out this. Yep, yep. If you're on the same network, you can talk to each other, but you can't force them to do, to buy stuff in the other subscription. Uh, I was in a several layer below child subscription. It makes me sound like a great, great, great grandchild. But when I was at Microsoft, I, I was not the big boss or whatever. And so I could only force changes within my subscription. And so I was telling my boss, I'm like, you should put me in the higher apps, move my user to the higher app subscription because then I could go and secure all of the systems of all my developer advocate colleagues. And he's like, you are not going to go and mess with their demos. I'm going to mess with their demos. I'm just going to make their demos safe. I know what you're on to, Tanya. Azure policies <laughs> comes in as well. Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. So I, before we came on, I asked, Ashish, if we could talk about policies. Okay. Okay. So I used to think policies sucked. I really didn't. And when I was a dev, they'd be like, oh, we're going to help you. We're going to give you a tool. It's a policy. And then what do you mean? And it would be a web page on our intranet of words on a screen. This is not a tool. This is boringness that will put me to sleep. What is this? And they're like, no, but the policy, it's, it's a law within an organization. Thou shall do this. And I said, but none of the devs are doing it. So it doesn't help me. And they're like, well, you could kind of hit them with it with it's a stick and i said okay i don't else i thought that i did not enjoy that so then when i went to azure oh we have policies I said, mm, you have policies papers no no it's a tool and i was 
I was skeptical, let's be clear. And so I got to hang out in Israel with the team that made all the recommendations for Azure Security Center. And they're like, no, no, let me show you. They're like, so let's say your policy is that all your app services or anything that delivers a web app must be HTTPS only. And I want that. And they're like, okay, so we're going to set that as part of the default policy. Okay, and then what? And they're like, well, in the next 24 hours, it's going to be a everything and your all of the Dev Advocate subscriptions and tell you everyone that's out of line. And so then I could go click down and see who owned it. I'd be like, Ashley, we need to talk. You have four web apps and they're not Fortune HTTPS. Can we talk about it? I'll explain to you why you want it. Maybe like, so I just need to press this button. So then I started meeting with different dev advocates trying to like secure their demos. And so the policy is just you set the rules within Azure and then it tells you every single person that's not complying. And if you have the power, which my boss would not give me, I am a control freak. I'm not saying he was wrong or anything. It's just, I want to secure all the things. I'm like, you're blocking me from that. And so basically you can actually, if you have the power, which I did not. So I did over eventually over my little team, but I never did over all of the dev advocates. And I get that they don't want me to break stuff. Anyway, what you can do is you can actually say, just press the button and say auto remediate and a bunch of it, it'll just actually change all the settings for you or apply the patch for you or do whatever wow. the thing is. And not all of them are push a button, but the goal was when I left to make 100% of them, just the button you press and it magically remediates it for you. Wow. And so then you can make your own custom policy of any rules that you want, or you could say, so we are, let's say a healthcare provider and we have to follow HIPAA. So you can actually choose and say, apply HIPAA to my subscription, and then it will auto check all the ones that are possible to check in an automatic way. Some of them you have to look with your eyes. And yeah. so it'll say this one, you have to manually verify. This is how you would manually verify it. Cause some things you need a human being for, but every single part that it can, it would automate it. And so they made one for the Canadian government called PBMM, which means nothing unless you work in the Canadian government, it's very government speak. But the point is, is that then they could just apply it and it would tell them every single person that's not compliant. It was just such a beautiful thing to be able to automate. So to me, that's a real tool to me, a real technical safeguard versus a bunch of stuff on a screen that no one reads. So Azure policies, definitely check them out as well then. So yes. maybe that's also a good segue into my final question for the episode, okay. which was around the maturity scales as well. Like I feel we kind of different, spoke about different maturity over here. We spoke about, hey, starting with trial, MFA, credit card, email, phone number, everything. And I'm going, okay, I'm, I guess I'm level one. So what yeah. different levels as you kind of go up What's a mature Azure build that you would know of that people can strive? So that's a really hard conversation, but basically if you go through the recommendations in security center mm -hmm. and you do them, you're going to be in an awesome place because basically they put all their super brains together and came up with this list and how to prioritize it. Another thing that you could do is apply the policies like I yeah. said. So pick the policies of your country. So for instance, for New Zealand and Australia, I believe they have the government policy. So if you worked in the government of Australia or government of New Zealand, whatever, whatever, basically you would apply that and you're like, ha I just did all of the things that so, oh, I can go home now. No, but it's really nice, right? And basically it will set this list of what it thinks best practices are for you. And so yep. you can mature by continuing to do that. So they have this thing called secure score. And I know that I keep seeing conference talks about how gamification makes everything works. Everyone loves video games. I'm not everyone loves video games. Some of us think they're super boring, FYI. And so I know I sound like such a grouch. I, sometimes I play Dr. Mario. I'm sort of okay at it, but I'm just, I'm not a gamer and that's okay. But basically it shows you a score. So it's, let's say there's 1200 suggestions that we would have for you and you've done 850 of them. So we're yeah. going to give you a score of 62% and then you can strive towards increasing and increasing that score. And it might sound really silly, but Ashish, I find that my bosses, when I would do security, they would only notice me when there was a really crappy security incident, or I was pushing for a security thing I wanted and they're like, no, it's gonna tick people off, Tanya. We don't wanna tick people off. And I'm like, we need to do this because. And the rest of the time it's, I wasn't alive. And I've been working really hard to try to do things, but no one notices that you worked with a team and they remediated 10 vulnerabilities instead of two. If they mm -hmm. originally wanted to, they're just, there wasn't an incident today, whatever. But with secure score, I could show my boss, Hey, I used to have a score of 42 and now I'm at 82. I'm awesome. Can I get a hell? And then they could see how hard you've worked. Does that make sense? Cause I don't want them to only notice me when something blows up in our faces. I think scoring is a good idea. So is, is this part of the. That's the free security center. 
Oh, perfect. Oh, so it's only you don't have to pay extra for it. Same with the policies too. It's all part of the free thing. That's why I think, okay, so again, this is in my imagination, but I think that all the cloud security posture management tools came from security center. When I saw that Azure had security center and AWS at the time didn't even have guard duty yet, I believe I was just, this is so cool. Can I have this for my own data center back when I used to work in the government? This is the best. And so it makes sense that industry was, well, security center is cool, but have you seen this? So I think that they probably in my own head, they invented that entire cool. We've yeah. got a comment from Vinita as well over here. Just says, I think you can uh, integrate in Dungeons with Sentinel as well. There you go. So send extra level up in there as well. So, <laughs> so talking about other places where people can find you as well, I believe you're at RSA as well coming up as well. So where can people find yes. you on social media and where can people find you speaking, talking for the next month or so? Okay. So on social media, I am at SheHacksPurple. So I have a YouTube channel. I have a Twitter that I use a lot, LinkedIn a lot. I have a Facebook account, but honestly, my intern answers that i'm not really a fan actually she just graduated so i shouldn't call her an intern anymore she graduated this month go amanda anyway mm -hmm. and at rsa so i have a newsletter so if you go to news.shehackspurple.ca i'm going to send out a schedule shortly so i am doing 12 events at rsa so i'm speaking at the conference three times so i'm giving a talk a panel and a birds of a feather but i'm also speaking at the purple cloud summit with a sheesh well, not together with a she show, I speak and then he speaks, but I'm also doing six or seven book signings. So I'm doing one with, with VMware, with Juniper Networks, with Puro Cloud Defense, with the RSA bookstore. And there's one more and now I feel oh, like I don't nice. remember. And then, so right before RSA is beside San Francisco and all day Sunday, I'm going to be at the Bright booth. And so... If you are going to be at B-Side San Francisco, please come to the Bright booth and hang out with me because being at a booth for a really long time is boring without awesome humans. And so if all of you could come visit me at the booth, that would be amazing. I'm going to have tons of stickers, bright stickers, she acts purple, we act purple, etc. And there's going to be, I believe, quite a few surprises occurring. So please come hang out at the booth and give me hugs. I know I'm probably not supposed to say that, but I really do hugs. And Ashish is going to be around as well. And yes. so you should all come see him, come see him speak at the Purple Cloud Summit. But please tell me all the other places you're going to be so I can stalk you. Back. I think it's funny. I think you and I both have something we should talk about. Where, where are we for the next month as well? So people should definitely follow the social us. media pages as well. But that was what I had time for. And this was really amazing. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and sharing level 200 for Azure Security Fundamentals. And hopefully everyone else gets to go back and see all the live stream sessions. And thank you for everyone who's on the Twitter space as well. That was the, also the end of our Azure Security Month. Next one, we're doing RSA and talking for our RSA a month. So we'll talk to you guys then. But for now, uh, thank you and enjoy the rest of your week. And actually long weekend for people in the US. So see ya. Peace. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.